the Cinemaker, Steven Soderbergh. This is episode 16, Eros, from 2004. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. And I am Tobin Addington. And this is one that, this is going to be our shortest episode yet, I think. This is basically a short film in a quote-unquote movie of three short films. Soderbergh directed the middle one. It makes perfect sense to me that he has, of the three segments, I only watched his, but it makes perfect sense to me that he has the fewest actors and also the biggest name stars. Like, I feel like that's just sort of like what you sort of come to expect from him sort of now. That it's the most, it, I mean, not, without having seen the other ones, feels the most compact, feels the most sort of condensed and just easiest and quickest and whatever to shoot. And it's the shortest of the three of this sort of sex anthology of some type, I guess. I'm not exactly sure how to explain it either. Like, I'm just curious as to how this movie came into existence in the first place. But I did watch all three parts, though. Did did you watch all three parts, Tobin? I watched the Warkong Y and the Antonioni parts on Fast Forward. So I have a sense of them, but I did not watch them in their entirety. No. How, how did the other two match up? I like them all on their own, but I don't see any common thread between the three of them except for like nudity basically (laughs) there's just i mean clearly they all have some sort of sexual undertone thematically going on with them but they're all just so drastically different the the one car why one is about a tailor who falls in love with a prostitute that he makes clothes for Uh, and then i'm not sure what's going on in the third one whatsoever some sort of torrid affair between a few people on the beach but the the middle one is definitely the easiest one to understand it's just robert downey jr having sex dreams within a dream like yeah. that's the thing like inception they all sort of have that extra level to them of like just weird for the sake of being weird so there's not a lot of trivia out about this movie i don't know exactly why this happened i do know that pedro almodovar who did the skin i live in and a bunch of other stuff was supposed to direct the segment and then he dropped out and so soderbergh filled in the last minute so this was his first originally penned screenplay since Schizopolis, so eight years ago. So that was a handful of episodes ago. So this seemed like a sort of a last-minute addition. He never worked, I don't think, to this point, right, with Alan Arkin or Robert Downey. So it's not like he just called up Clooney and was like, hey, I need you for, like, a weekend, right? Like, he never did anything with these guys before. No, no. No, and I think this is pre-Iron Man as well, right? Or it right, is. Right there, yeah. So I was thinking Alan Arkin would have fit in great in the Oceans movies somewhere as oh, one of those totally. older guys yeah i was kind of getting that vibe but but was the one thing that was kept throwing me about this was i was getting flashbacks to that showtime thing that he did yeah uh, because it's like a 50s black and white noir kind of it, it feels almost like um like the maltese falcon but this guy's like an ad executive and he's in his psychiatrist's office talking about this dream he had but i had wished that we'd never watched that showtime thing because i couldn't <laughs> get it out of my head it kept sticking in there it also kind of feels like the underneath a little bit, at least in the dream sequence, the dream within the dream, because it's all blue, that it's a blue room and she's wearing a blue outfit, just, you know, very monochromatic for some reason, I guess. Depression? I don't know. Nothing's explained here. The one thing I want to say is that I, I really, this seals the deal for me, that I want Robert Downey's patter in every movie. Like, I'm okay <laughs> hearing him do his shtick 
everywhere. Like, I'm never going to get tired of it. Like, I feel like if I didn't get tired of it here, I'm never going to get tired of it. Like, I just like to hear him. I don't I don't know what it is. I wrote on Letterboxd that, like, if life was the movie Anomalisa and Tom Noonan was Robert Downey Jr., I wouldn't even mind not finding my Anomalisa because I'd be so in love with this world around me. It's just everybody talking like Robert Downey Jr. all the time. So, because he does the same thing in every movie and it just works for me. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, you know, I wrote in my notes about halfway through this film that this felt to me like a real waste of a couple of actors that I that I really enjoy and that I really admire. I just think that the material is not as interesting as I think Soderbergh thinks it is, and they're doing the best they can. There's just not a lot. I just I, I found it kind of kind of static and inert. The whole sort of first. Oh, I shouldn't say the first part. When it opens, it opens with the what we learn is his dream within a dream of the the woman in the blue dress or, or the woman who's not wearing anything and then puts on the blue dress. And that I thought was beautiful. There's a there's again he's using sort of racking focus back and forth as a way to to establish intimacy and it's sort of voyeuristic and the camera sort of swaying back and forth. It's kind of as she sort of this woman sort of gets ready as fragments of what feels like a dream. And that I thought was really well done. I mean, I I, I sort of wanted more of that and less of being in the psychiatrist's office for what felt like the majority of the movie in the kind of second section of the movie where I, I, just, I don't know I just felt like I've seen performances of so much more dynamism from both of these actors that I was sort of missing that here. I think what threw me was that they're trying to make like this shift into what seems like comedy and after that, you know, when he's in the psychiatrist office, I was not expecting it to reach for that in that direction. I, I thought we were going to sort of get like a straight, you know, analysis of this woman in the blue room in the bathtub thing. And I kind of feel like I might have liked that a little more. Like, I, I, I just don't know if the comedy's working for me. It's too irreverent. I'm not sure if, if the intention is to point out that this is the dream. I mean, Alan Arkin's doing this weird stuff with the paper airplanes and the small and large binoculars, and I'm not really laughing at it. I'm just sort of like quizzically watching along, hoping that there's an answer to the end of this, but there ultimately isn't really an answer. Robert Downey Jr. wakes up for real at the end of all of this and I guess you just you find out he didn't invent the snooze alarm after all it's been invented all along like that's another thing I thought that's where it was going like after all of this like the punchline is we've invented the snooze alarm but no I feel like and I have no idea but I feel like the Alan Arkin not paying attention to the dream is maybe a commentary like nobody wants to hear about your dreams like it's not interesting like there's a thing from really really early on in Always Sunny where Dennis says to D D I'm gonna stop you right there like I don't want to hear about anybody's dreams unless I'm in them or somebody's having sex in them you could say like the most <laughs> provocative dream and it's just like this woman's getting out of the bathtub and she's getting ready and she gets dressed and it's just like ah, who cares like I don't care I think Soda I don't know if that's the point or not but that's maybe a reading of it and if that's the case then I'm fine with it you know, the DVD box in describing this segment on the back of the film calls it droll. And that to me was the first red flag that we were – that sounds to me like a marketer's word to say, okay, look, guys, this is kind of funny but not really funny. But we have to let people know it's kind of funny. So we're going to call it tongue-in-cheek droll, which means it's going to be quote-unquote funny but nobody's actually going to laugh. And I think that that's, that, that's actually not a bad like, descriptor of this, but it does not sound like something that anybody is going to want to watch. I put this kind of high – not really high by any stretch of the imagination, but on my, on my rankings, I put it – like 11th? I'd rather rewatch this, if only because it's so short. I'd rather rewatch this than like Kafka. Wow. I'm liking Kafka. The, uh, I like it the more I think about it, actually. <laughs> I'm really into that movie. I'd rather rewatch this than Kafka, The Underneath, or Full Frontal. 
everything else and K Street, which is not on this list, but like everything else, and also the uh, the Showtime thing that we talked that Mike mentioned earlier. But I just like it because it's it's short. It's got actors in it that I like. It's got a very pretty lady, and it's not unlikable. It's just fine. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do actively dislike it. I put it on the bottom of the list of the ones available. Um, I, I, would, I would put the Showtime thing after this for sure. That, that was... Well, but what about K Street? Would you rather rewatch this or K Street? Five hours or, or 25 minutes? Uh, I'm, I would have to think about that. I would have to think wow. about that. <laughs> the only The only other interesting thing in my interesting to me in my notes is that there's one part where Robert Downey Jr. is, is in that first black and white section... And he's um, describing – he's already going on this riff, this like riff about sales and people buying things and what, what you're actually being sold. And it, it got me thinking about something that we're going to start talking more in Soderbergh's work, I think, which is his sort of – you can read a lot of his films as – examinations of uh, or critiques of of capitalism now i know how this begins to sound like we're gonna like we're gonna lecture here but but really and, and i don't not in a way that i think he's you know a marxist or a socialist or anything but just just in the way that he is interested in in how the buying and selling of things defines us and that becomes really big in the first magic mike movie sort of motivating the whole thing it's gonna it's the same same is true for the girlfriend experience how that whole sort of the exchange of money for services happens there even the side effects the oceans movies are are about I think that bubble as well yeah, right right bubble takes place in the doll factory if i'm not mistaken exactly so. and in, in like the dying rust belt in a in a doll factory aaron brockovich even the upcoming his upcoming movie this summer the logan lucky movie just i i think i think he is wrestling with that as a sort of theme and that to me was the most interesting thing about this which i guess technically is joey as you're saying the robert downey jr stuff like his monologues here his soliloquies are probably the most interesting thing in this movie and i guess yeah i would probably rather watch that than than five hours of k street so yes i'll say i'll say this this goes above that and the showtime thing that's all i wanted you to say (laughs) i also do want to point out that you said the upcoming logan lucky but this is releasing on january 1st happy new year guys oh so logan lucky which everybody now owns on blu-ray and dvd and video on demand so and it's awesome and it's awesome no but yeah i mean it is sort of i guess a pivot point kind of and i never really watched the later films with sort of that critical eye i am really interested to hear and i I just it's funny to me how different it's going to be the magic mike episode we do here and then the magic mike episode that we do for the newly launched magic mike's podcast where joe two and i are going back through channing tatum's career (laughs) so we're going to look at it from two very 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 different angles so i'm excited to watch that movie twice Getting back to what I was saying, the point I was trying to make was that I never watched the later films with a critical eye, but I, I'm interested now that I sort of know or it's been told to me that that's going to be like a key point for him from here on out. Another thing to look forward to. I just realized that I didn't even open my notes for this because there's I didn't take any like helpful notes because there's not a lot that goes on. I mean, it's just like everything's so blue and then there's Robert Downey and that's sort of the end. Yeah, there's there, you know, there's some interesting stuff in the idea of some us having seen something that we don't know is a dream, and then having it recounted from the character who had the dream's point of view, and and we're we're then remembering it the way he's remembering the dream, like oh I think I saw that mar- part, and oh was that thing there? You know, like there's that 
it puts us in the in the point of view of, some, of the person who's sort of had the dream in that you only remember dream in, in, dreams and kind of fra- usually in kind of fragments that way and you know he, again this is this is a you know one of my least favorite movies from one of my favorite directors from a very very skilled filmmaker so it's not I don't think it's bad I just don't I just don't think it adds up to as much as so much of his work does. I almost feel like it's too short of a medium for him to make his point in. Like, there's some quote about him later on going over to television and being like, you know, when I retired, telling a story over 20 hours or whatever, you know, 35 episodes is like an invigorating experience in that schedule compared to just having like, you know, 100 minutes or 120 minutes to tell the story. Right. And so I think maybe he's just not adjusted to this length yet. Like, he, I don't know if he has enough time to make his point clearly or say what he wants to say in a way that's like satisfying uh, enough like maybe if he had another 10 minutes like the other two directors used like he could have taken the reality segment and wrapped it all up a little cleaner Um, but I do also love um, Downey like I'm just a huge fan of him and I think casting him as a salesman or he's not necessarily a salesman but he's like a madman type like Don Draper type I think that's perfect like I would love to see Downey and Soderbergh do a movie like that like yeah. With him as like the salesman or something. Like that would be really interesting. I hope they get a chance to work together if Downey ever gets out of his Iron Man contract. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have anything else to say about Eros. Eros, Eros. I already forgot. Eros. Eros. Do either of you have anything else to say about this, or are we going to just sort of look forward toward Ocean's 12? My only last thing to say, which is uh, sort of interesting, is I believe that the movie came together because one of the producers sort of ha- had this idea to bring these to bring three directors together and and this is a thing that happens in, in fiction a lot where there'll be someone will have an idea for like an anthology of short stories and they'll reach out to all these famous authors and say hey let's all write about you know divorce or whatever and then everybody writes their divorce story and it, it, it does have that have that feeling in those anthologies if you ever read that kind of stuff it's the, the stories are always hit and miss like some are gonna land for you and some are not as I recall, when the movie was released, they would scramble the order depending on where the movie was playing, in which oh. in which market it was playing in. I can't remember if that's if that's true or not, but it does make some sense that you would either sure. lead or finish with the big one to keep people in their seats or you know or get them to come to the theater. But I'm not surprised you don't see more of this kind of thing because this this is just not there aren't aren't a lot of of filmmakers who I think can can deliver something satisfying in 25 to 35 minutes. I think they need I think they need more time. This also kind of reminded me a little of stuff like um, like the Paris Jetem and uh, New York. I yeah, oh, I guess that's those, mm-hmm. those types yeah, yeah, of yeah. things as well. Okay. Yeah, except those you get many more segments than just three. They're sort of a little more intertwined. They're all based in the same sort of location, and they're shorter. They're shorter too. This maybe is more of an in between kind of space or something. Yeah. Hmm. If I'm not mistaken, this is the last thing Antonioni released. But I've not seen a lot of his work. I've seen some of some of his stuff, but I, I also heard that Soderbergh watches Red Desert a lot. Yeah. Like he huh. watches that movie almost well. According to some commentary I listened to like ten years ago, he would watch it before filming just to sort of like refresh his mind as in the color theory and form and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's great that he got to work with someone that he admired so much. Well, did they really work together or no? Well, or like, at least he got no, to sure. sort yeah. of be on the same bill, right? right? right. Exactly. Or sure. be associated with, with that. So right. that's cool. 
and, and maybe and maybe get an, an, a new Antonioni movie seen in the United States in a way that hadn't happened since the late 70s. Yeah. You know, the trivia on IMDb says this is his last film. It sounded like, to sort of elaborate on what Tobin said earlier, that the producer really just wanted to work with him again. So they came up with this, like, this triptych, this three-story idea. And apparently it was filmed, his, Antonioni's thing was filmed in English, and then initial test screenings were so negative that they're like, whoops! And then they oh, dubbed over in Italian. Oh, so, amazing. Oh, that's uh, great. They dubbed it in Italian? Usually, yep. usually it's the reverse. Right, it's right. Great. That's amazing. So yeah, so that's that. So next week we have Ocean's 12, which is in a lot of ways, the opposite of this in just about every facet. Um, Back to a movie that I've seen before, so that's kind of exciting. But yeah, so any other last thoughts about this, or are we good to wrap up? I'm good. Yeah, let's wrap it up. So for all things Cinemakers, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter. You can see all the episodes that we've done. You can see everything that's going to, you know, everything's going to come out for the rest of this year. Now that it's January 1st, we have a whole new slate of shows, which even might include a new show, wink, wink, by our guest here, Tobin Addington, might have a new show this year. So anything is possible in the year 2018 if we are all still alive at this point. (laughs) Jeez. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm underground dwelling Mike Manzi. I have the ever hopeful Tobin Addington. And we'll see you next time on Cinemakers.